Welcome to Balancing Point Podcast, where you will experience the captivating world of professional ballet. On this show, you will hear what it takes to make it in the exclusive world. Each guest will share with you their struggles, their I've made it moments, and their advice for success. And ultimately, you will learn what it is really like to live your dream. Join your host, Kimberly Falker, and today's inspiring guests as they take you on a behind-the-scenes journey into ballet. Hi, and welcome to Balancing Point Podcast. My guest today is Maggie Kadurka, who shares with us a very moving journey that she's been experiencing over the last year. At the beginning of 2014, Maggie was living her dream. She had graduated college and landed a job as a ballerina with Joffrey Ballet's concert group in New York City. During the year, she began to feel pain and a lump in her breast, and then it continued and there was pain in her sternum. So when she did go to the doctor, it was discovered that she had stage four breast cancer, which had actually spread to her bones and lymph nodes. But instead of rolling over and kind of just um, agonizing over what she was facing in life, she actually turned it around into something extremely positive. She began a campaign called the Bald Ballerina Campaign, where she spreads the word about metastatic cancer and she has really made a difference in so many people's lives. She now tours the country speaking and performing and educating dancers about cancer, about breast cancer, about breast cancer awareness, and just really has turned something just horrific into something really positive. She was an inspiration to me when I was reading some of the um, posts in her uh, website and I'd seen some of the um, posts about her in social media. So I did reach out to her to get her onto the show because I knew that she would be extremely inspirational and she is. So I'm really excited to be blessed with the opportunity to speak with Maggie and share it with you today. So let's go ahead and get started. First and foremost, thank you so much for taking the time. I know that you're super busy nowadays, so I'll make sure to uh, appreciate your time today. Well, thank you for asking me. Oh, no problem. And, you know, why don't we just go ahead and I'll do a quick intro and then we'll just dive right into the interview and get going. All right. So today I'm interviewing Maggie Kadurka, who is, are you currently in Maryland or are you elsewhere today? Uh, yeah, I'm in Maryland right now. Okay. So I'm, I'm talking with Maggie Kadurka from uh, Maryland and um, she's kind of become known as Bald Ballerina, and we will um, jump right into that. But before we get started on that, Maggie, go ahead and give us a little bit of uh, kind of background in your journey of dance. Um, sure. So I began dancing when I was four, and it's kind of a funny story how I started dancing. My older sister was in class, and there is a class for four-year-olds at the time, and my mom didn't, like, I was just sitting around at the studio waiting for my sister to get done. So my mom thought, oh, I'll just put her in class so she has something to do for that hour. So from there, my love of dance grew. Um, I began training very seriously around age eight with private lessons and going to competitions and just really focusing on my dance training. And then when I was about 12, I really just decided ballet is my life. I'm not going to do anything else. And so I started training five hours a day with private lessons and coaching for competitions. And then when I was about 18, I had decided 
I don't think I'm ready for um, to join a dance com- a ballet company. So I'm going to go to college. So I went to Towson University in Baltimore, Maryland, and I got a BFA in dance performance, and I graduated with honors. Um, and in Towson, I learned how to become a modern dancer and how to choreograph and how just to be keep my mind open to what dance is because some people consider it differently, but it really helped me grow as a performer and as a dancer. And then out of my, well, going into my senior year, I had gone into, I went to the Joffrey, the Joffrey Valley School in New York Summer Intensive. And the director of the concert group there offered me a position in their company And I told him, um, I'm going into my senior year. I only have like six credits left. I'm not going to give up a four-year degree to join a company right now. Um, Right. So he said, (laughs) he he completely understood. He was like, of course, I understand. Um, And he said, if I didn't get a job with another company, that I always have a spot with the Joffrey Concert Group. So I didn't get a job. So I joined the Joffrey Concert Group right after my senior year. I moved up to New York and started working with them basically six days a week from nine to five, just like a regular company. We went on tours. We performed um, Gerald Arpino work, um, new works, and just the whole, it was a whole mishmash of styles and pieces. So in about the February of 2014, I felt a lump in my left breast and uh, I was like, oh, it's just a dance injury. Not very, like, I just pushed it aside. Right. And then in March, I felt a pop in my sternum. And again, I thought it was like a pulled peck or something. And I pushed it aside because we were getting ready to go on tour. And I didn't want to not go on tour and give up my parts and the pieces. So I waited until May when the season ended. And my mom had come up to see our last show and I told her, I was like, I'm very scared about this. Like it hasn't gone away. It's gotten bigger. So I was supposed, I was scheduled to come home like a week or two after that for like my regular checkups and everything. So she called like every doctor trying to get me in to see someone to check out the lump and it took forever. And so I finally got in to see a nurse midwife and she sent me for all this stuff, the mammogram, biopsy, the the sonogram, everything. So from there, I was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. And now I'm the bald ballerina. I I certainly don't want to diminish. I want to dive into that story much deeper. But before that point, going back to when you were um, a kid and having decided to pursue dance specific or um, exclusively and then you decided to go to college was there something in your life that kind of made you wake up and realize that college would be a first the best first step for you or where was that where was your kind of thought process in that point in time um well my parents always emphasized getting an education because they said even if dance doesn't work out, it's good to have that degree because it shows that you went to school. And I went to a school where I had to do all the sciences and the maths and the histories and all that. 
So they really emphasize education, how important it is, because no matter what job I go for, if it's just an office job from nine to five, it shows that I went to school, I got an education, and I'm more likely to be hired. So that was kind of always in my family, like get your education first and then pursue your career. And um, I knew just me personally, I wasn't mature enough, I wasn't ready to go out on my own and like start paying bill, like paying rent and everything with the company. So I knew I wasn't ready personally, just my character wasn't ready for it. So college was kind of the, the way to, and I was homeschooled. So I really had no like perspective of the outside world. Cause I was at home and then I would just go to dance. So going to college helped with me like learning how to, survive basically right so you did like the traditional college experience then yeah I did the four well I didn't live I didn't live on the dorm in the dorms because I only live about 20 minutes away from Towson so it was cheaper for me to drive but I was there I didn't have the dorm life but I still had to learn how to pay for gas and everything so that was my right start and like learning how to adjust my schedule for homework assignments because when I was homeschooled I could kind of do it whenever but now I have like due dates and everything so I had to learn how navigate to navigate that yeah <laughs> make my schedule work for that and then like over the course of your years in training did you go away to summer intensives in that stage of your life as well I didn't start going away to summer intensives until college um I don't I, I guess because we like me and my sister competed. We went to the nationals and stuff. So like summer intensives never really worked with that because it was always like in the middle of it. And my parents, again, thought they're not old enough to go away by themselves to live for six weeks in some unknown city. So I didn't go until my sophomore year of college. I went to the EBT collegiate program. So is it, does your sister still dance? She doesn't. She um, actually broke her toe and the recovery period, she just found other interests and everything. So now she's working for the government. Oh, that's neat. <laughs> yeah, completely different, but. Well, you hear that a lot, though, in this world, you know, because there's probably nothing that really compares to the full-time dancing. Yeah. So let's let's dive into, you know, the, the journey that you're on now. And, you know, I think that it's so impressive that, in kind of in light of such a horrific diagnosis, you kind of created something so hugely beneficial and, and your your voice is really, really spread throughout the nation and the world. And when, when you received that diagnosis, at what point in time did you kind of come up with this idea to use the negative for a positive? Um, it was actually only a, maybe a week or so after I was diagnosed, I was letting my teachers at Towson know because I was asking if I could come and take classes when I was up to it. And at Towson, we had a class on how to network yourself and how to use social media to get your name out there, to get people to know who you are. So that teacher uh, was saying, just write a blog. Like, even if it's just for your friends or just for yourself, you have it out there. And mm -hmm. you never know what will come from it. So I was just, I read that email and I was like, okay, I have to come up with something. So I was sitting with my mom at the kitchen table and I was like, I want like a clever name. Like I don't want to, I'm not dancing with cancer or dancing through cancer. It's just not who I am. So I 
was just like, what if I call myself like the ball ballerina or something? And it just like clicked and both of us were like, that'll work. Like, that's perfect. So I went on all the social media and got it. And I just, it helped immediately. It gave me something to do. It took my mind off of what was happening and it just, all the support and the positivity that all of my followers give to me really is helping me get through this whole thing. So I don't think I would be as strong as I am without them. So when you first were diagnosed, um, you know, and I, I read your blog and, and your interviews and it's, it's just fascinating that at your age, you were what, only 23? I'm 24 now. Okay, so at, but when you were diagnosed, you were 23. Yeah. yeah, and and that you have no genetic predisposition or any of the markers that would cause this to really have been a a, a thought in your mind, right? Yeah, um, I kind of had a feeling it would it wasn't really genetics when I was diagnosed. I think it was just something in my environment that wasn't good for me. But I never like everyone kept saying, oh. Like, you, like people your age never get it. Like, don't worry about it. So I kind of tried to think that way. But in the, like, the back of my mind, I was like, it's really breast cancer. I have this. Like, what am I going to do? But I didn't let it, like, sink in until, like, after I was diagnosed. But I always had this feeling that it really? was. Yeah. And, I don't, like, I didn't like going to the doctor, so I always tried to push it. I tried to push it back as much as possible, but by the time um, the end of the show, the end of the season came around, the pain in my sternum was so intense I could hardly move my arm. I needed help sitting up in bed. So I just was like, I need to get this pain gone. Like, I don't know what it is, but I just need it gone. And... Like, my roommates had to help me with stuff because I could hardly, like, by the last show, my arm was in a sling because I couldn't move my arm. And I was just like, I have to get this taken care of. I can't continue like this. Like, I can't be in pain anymore. So when you first were diagnosed, you were in New York, and then you wound up moving back home to Maryland to for treatments and such? Yeah, I was commuting back and forth for the various appointments, and... When I was diagnosed, I was actually heading back up to New York that day. So it was the first like couple of weeks I was going back and forth from New York, like bringing stuff back and taking classes. And I, cause I had a, my first doctor had told me, oh, you can stay in New York. You continue dancing with Joffrey. Like we'll just work your treatments around your rehearsal schedule. And I was like, oh, cool. And that was like my plan. And then I saw, I went to, I went to a new doctor and he was like, no, you have to move home. Like, this is more serious than you think. You can't be, he was like, your energy levels will be completely gone. You won't be able to do your nine to five. And I was like, okay. And after that appointment, I was like, okay, I'm going up and packing up my apartment and coming back home. And I've been home since I go up to New York once in a while, but I miss it, and I wish I could move back. <laughs> oh, I bet, yeah. Well, it, you know, again, it seems like you're, I mean, obviously, with anybody, with any major issues that you've been facing, you know, you have, you have dark times, but it, it seems as if you're, you're really projecting such a positive, I guess, energy, or how do you handle the times that aren't quite as positive? <laughs> um, well, I have three little Pomeranians, and whenever I'm feeling sad or like just 
one of those days where I'm not myself. I always just go and sit with them and they always make me smile and laugh. And so they help a lot. My dogs help me a lot. And, or I just stay in bed and watch funny movies all day just so I laugh and try and get my energy level, my normal self. So when you started the bald ballerina, did you have any concept of what direction you wanted to head with it or did it kind of start coming organically as time has gone on? Um, I think it's organically. Originally, it was just for my friends, so I wouldn't get a hundred text messages asking how I was doing, or like I just I didn't want to deal with all the phone calls and emails and text messages. And they, like my friends and family, really are the ones that helped this grow because they just kept sharing it. And last, like when I first started, it was just making young women aware that you can get breast cancer. It's not just for 40 and over and not to like let your doctor say, Oh, you don't need this test or you don't need this test. So it was, it's really just evolved. And now I'm really pushing the metastatic awareness because metastatic stage four don't get that much awareness. So right now that's my focus is the metastatic awareness, breast cancer. What, um, what does that awareness, what's the goal with that awareness? Um, well, right now, only about 2% of all the money um, raised for breast cancer goes towards metastatic, but there's over, there's 30% of women with breast cancer will have metastatic breast cancer. So we're the majority of breast cancer patients right now, and we are getting none of the money for the research. And since I, like, metastatic means you're not curable, you can't be cured. So... Right now, I'm terminal. I have a deadly disease, and people don't realize that. Like, so I'm really trying to help raise money and raise awareness and make Breast Cancer Awareness Month more than just a pink ribbon celebration, more about the women who are dying from this disease, which not a lot of people know about. So that's, like, my goal right now. Is to really- so metastatic means that it has spread to one other area or what's the actual definition or what makes it medicine yeah it means it's spread to another body part either lymph nodes brain bone liver lung any part of the body so it isn't just contained in the breast anymore so it's it's basically they can't stop it from spreading so right now mine's in my bones so i'm hoping it stays isolated and not moved to another organ but Hopefully, they come up with a cure soon. What um, treatment do they do for when it's spread to the bones? Uh, so I get um, infusions of two drugs every three weeks, and then I get a bone strengthening shot every 12 weeks. Okay, and then that will go on for... So I have to get that treatment indefinitely, indefinitely, or until something changes. And then I did read in your blog that extraordinarily high costs of that and is that where part of the awareness comes is that you know not only is it the I guess the uh, research not great but also the funding isn't or yeah well um, one drug Herceptin which most breast cancer patients get who have the who have the kind of cancer I have I'm hormone positive that drug is just $45,000 alone and so we're also trying to get drug companies to lower the price of the co- the drugs so that more people can afford it if they don't have good health insurance. So 
So it's, I think just bringing awareness helps lower everything with like death rates and cost of drugs and everything. So that's why I'm really trying to bring awareness to metastatic because it doesn't get that much attention. And why do you think that is? I think it's, People don't want to oh, talk that about makes it. Sense. They think breast cancer is one of these things. Oh, you go in for your chemo, your surgery, and radiation, and then you're done. And that's not the case because lots of times if you have breast cancer at a lower stage, in a few years you will have a reoccurrence and it will be stage four. So I think people just don't want to talk about the dark side of breast cancer. A lot of people say it's like the elephant in the room for breast cancer patients. Mm -hmm because they just don't want to talk about death. They want to join the pink ribbon parties and have the races and everything, but that's not the case for many people. That makes sense. So when you first kind of began your level of involvement, now you seem to be extremely busy, you know, speaking and, and traveling. How do you do that with your energy and how do you kind of coordinate your schedule? Because I can't imagine, you know, the logistics, the cost, and even just the energy it takes to be as involved as you are. Yeah, well, I always take my nap. I usually, I try and take a two to three hour nap per day. Um, and I think I, I take a ballet class every morning, well, Monday through Thursday. So I think that helps with my energy levels because it gets the blood flowing and everything. But I usually come home and take a nap right after that. But I... I always try and I look at my schedule and like this past week has been really busy for me. I've had, I was, I performed yesterday for the local company I work for and I was going to go up to New York this weekend, but I was like, my body's going to like shut down. I'm not going to have the energy to do this. Like I need to slow down a little bit and take a break. So I just look at my schedule and see how, and think of how much I can handle. And then if I think I can't handle it, I just, I just put it aside and say another time. That's really smart. I mean, I guess that's kind of one of the um, unique gifts that, you know, professional dancers seem to have is they're able to really tap into reading themselves and their bodies and their energy. And it probably has helped you a little bit in this journey that you're on now. Yeah, I can definitely tell when my body's not feeling right or when I'm going to have, a, like I can tell before a class even starts if it's going to be a good class or not. Um, I've just really learned to listen to my body and know what it needs and know when to take it easy and when not to take it easy. So cancer is kind of a blessing in disguise in that way because I've really learned to listen and not push myself too hard because I know dancers, they always try and do too much sometimes. And now I've learned to like slow down and just not worry about something so trivial as if my turns aren't working that day like I I'll understand it's my body it's not where it should be but I can work on it for tomorrow and have you kind of um along this you know in both the uh treatment part and also the recovery from the treatment have you learned of like a nutritional thought process that has really helped you know do you really follow a very strict regime or you just listen to your body in that way as well um, well, I, when I was first diagnosed, I did a lot of research and I found that genetically modified foods are starting to show that they lead to cancer and other illnesses. So I try to cut out all GMO 
um, foods. So I always so give an example of that for those that don't know what that is. So it's like a apple that is genetically modified to grow bigger to have a certain look. Like they're not natural. They're not organic. I don't know how to. I don't. They're injected with chemicals and poisons, basically that help that make them either bigger or produce more or something like they're just genetically modified in some way. So that's like the real foods that are supposed to be healthy for you have been modified so that they're no longer healthy because they have chemicals in them versus like the, um, like, a processed or, you know, things like Doritos or whatever, that wouldn't be considered genetically yeah. modified. Those are just bad for you, period. Right. Yeah. They're processed foods. So I, um, so I switched to all organic non-GMO foods. I luckily there's a all organic non-GMO market near my house, so that's nice and easy. And then um, since my cancer is genetically mod genetic or not genetic hormonal based, um, I don't eat dairy because of all the hormones that are injected into it, and I don't eat meat because meat now is like pushed with all these hormones and chemicals just they're basically genetically modified or just not normal so I don't eat meat I don't eat dairy and I've cut out refined sugar so I if I want like a cake or something I have to make it with a natural sugar like honey or agave just something with a natural sugar not a processed sugar so I found it helped it, my new diet has helped me with my energy levels because I don't feel as heavy I feel a lot lighter after I eat. I don't feel like tired or anything. So I am all for no meat, no dairy diet. It seems as if that the awareness of that is really becoming quite prevalent. I know that um, my daughter's 16. I know within her peer group, that seems to be the focus is to really strip down all the quote unquote bad foods. And a lot of them are kind of choosing exactly the, the, um, eliminations that you've spoken about, you know, between meat and dairy and, and non-organic foods. So that's, you know, somehow it seems as if that's a good awareness versus when I was 16 and <laughs> nobody knew anything about that stuff. Yeah. But I was, like my parents always say, when we were younger, the foods weren't genetic, genetically modified. They weren't as processed. So something's happened since I I was born in the 90s, and I think that's really when it's starting to affect my generation now with all the processed foods and everything. So I know there's a lot of big movements on to get rid of the genetically modified foods, and there's arguments about it and everything. So hopefully the government will regulate it somehow to make it better for us. Well, I'm sure that, you know, it's a, it's so impressive that you're choosing the path that you've chosen in in light of what you're you've received you know as far as your diagnosis and all the the struggles that go with it it, it just impresses me when somebody makes a choice to rise above something negative and, and create something as huge as you have I mean you're making an impact on the world in so many ways like Besides just kind of what you learn from your instructor about the positives of social, you know, writing a blog and such. I mean, what do you think is in you that kind of has the focus or the wherewithal or the desire to put yourself out there like you have and really make such an impact on the world? 
I actually really don't know. I was always a shy person. It would always take me a few times, like a little while to talk to someone. So, and now I'm becoming more outgoing and I'll go up and talk to someone, but I honestly have no clue how I have gotten to this point. I, I don't know. That's yeah. And I, I can see that. I can see what you're saying because, you know, classical ballet in the world of dance and ballet, oftentimes the, the personalities are a little bit more introverted and a little bit more shy or more, you know, thoughtful in, in their own ways, but they're not putting themselves out there quite as much as um, you wound up doing, which it's it, because I think what's impressive from my perspective, from the outside looking in, is that not only have you put yourself out there, but you've done it in such a classy way, which kind of befits the world of ballet. You know, you've really done it in a very upstanding, classy, you're not, I don't know, I just, I, I think it's very impressive. And I think that for that reason, you're really resonating with the world in a, in a much different way, because it's, it's got to be hard to be vulnerable and expose the struggles, but you've also continued to somehow add in classical ballet, which makes it beautiful. Well, thank you. I try. <laughs> You're welcome. And I'm sure if given the choice, you might not have chosen to be the, the warrior for this. You know, it's not really, you know, anybody's choosing. But at the same time, I think that part of my podcast is, is exposing that, you know, the, the journey in dance, sometimes through struggles or disappointments or devastating life experience like what you've got, you you find a different path into the world of professional ballet that you didn't even expect, and so here you are, a much bigger presence in the world of ballet than you might have ever dreamed of. You know? Yeah, definitely. It was um, it was funny when I was first diagnosed. The past the two years leading up to me being diagnosed, I would go to all these auditions and be cut, and I was like, why am I being cut? I have strong technique. I thought I'm I'm five nine, so I'm a tall ballet dancer. So I was like, maybe it's my height. And after I was diagnosed, I told my parents, I was like, well, maybe I wasn't supposed to be a professional dancer. Maybe I was supposed to be an advocate or someone who really brings awareness to something because I wasn't getting a job. It was fresh. Like I was frustrated. I was like, I'm. I don't know what I'm going to do. And then I was diagnosed, and this kind of came along. And I was like, well, maybe this is my pathway in life like maybe I'm not supposed to be a professional dancer maybe I do dance but not in a professional company or something but so I think dance definitely opens up things and you learn a lot about yourself pretty quickly I think in dance so I don't know I think it was my my pathway in life I don't want to say God picked it for me or anything but I definitely think something is leading me to the what I'm supposed to do. And that makes sense. And and other people might have been in the same exact situation, or maybe there are dancers out there that are, that um, or young people, even if they're not dancers, who receive something as tragically devastating as this, who just, you know, kind of, I guess, sh go away or, or, or don't want to face it. You know, it takes guts and, and bravery to to recognize this as an opportunity to become something bigger that you hadn't really planned on, you know, just because, I mean, you, you could have chosen a different outcome. You could have just stayed home and gotten, gone dormant and been quiet about it, you know? Yeah. 
but I, I'm glad I didn't because I don't think, I think if I did that, I wouldn't be doing as well as I am today. Like I would, I wouldn't. I agree with you. You're right. I don't think the drugs would have worked as well. I don't think I would be in stable mode. I just think if I stayed hidden and didn't talk to anyone or didn't tell my story, I wouldn't be doing as well. And that's a huge mess, huge message for anybody in any level of disappointment or struggles that they're going in or going through is, um, to not be vulnerable and not put yourself out there actually causes worse problems than to just kind of be willing to ask for help or to show your weaknesses. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, I think if you try and bottle stuff in, it's not healthy for you. So I think if you just let it out, it helps get your body out of whatever situation you're in. That makes sense. So I do like to ask, um, well, before we before I ask my questions, what's kind of on your immediate trajectory of plans? Is it to continue to do master classes and um, speak around the country, or do you have a, a a bigger plan in the next year of of how you're going to approach this? Um, well, right now I do have master classes planned, speaking engagements, and I do hope to continue that throughout the journey. Um, my ultimate goal for Bald Ballerina is to turn it into a nonprofit where we grant money to dancers who get cancer to help pay for medical bills, housing bills, whatever bills they need. Because while mo most people who have cancer can continue working or take disability, it's hard for dancers to do that because we're not working, because we can't get into the studio all the time. So that's my ultimate goal for Bald Ballerina. I'm not sure when it'll happen because we still need to keep raising money so we have enough money to give a big enough grant to help those dancers. But that's my ultimate goal. Um, and we are, I'm doing a concert in January that I have local dancers performing at. I, I'm doing master classes. I'm doing freelance performances. I'm just trying to bring, do as much for Bald Ballerina as possible. No, oh, that's great. And with, with that, I, you know, I'd like to ask the same three questions at the end of my interview. And, and with you, it'll be really unique because you have a, a different perspective than many, especially looking back in time. But one of the questions I ask is um, with the, confidence, knowledge, and information that you have in your life, if you were to go back in time to your 13-year-old self and give yourself advice, what would you say? Um, I would probably say don't give up because at 13, I was kind of thinking, do I want to dance? Do I want to do something else? So I'd probably say keep doing what you love. Don't just, if you're frustrated, don't just quit. Um, really follow your passion and not let it not really sway from it. Even if you have a bad day, cause I know I would have bad days when I was 13 and be like, I want to quit. And I would, I would just say, keep doing what you love and what you know. Cause I know at 13 dance was all I knew. And I was like, what would I do? And I tried cooking and all this other stuff. And I was like, no dance is what I need to do. So really follow what you love and not get And then with that same confidence and wisdom and lessons that you learned, what would be your advice for aspiring dancers today? 
uh, live in the moment. I know I would be in class thinking, oh, I have to do this, so I'm going to start. I have to do 32 fuetes in four months or something. I'm going to do all the work I can. I really wish I would really have focused and, well, I still do it, focus in the class and really learn what that, learn something new every day. Because I know in today's world, we're always thinking ahead. We're not thinking what's happening right now, what's, what's going to be happening. We always think like, oh, I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do this. And in my experience, things can happen in a matter of five seconds. So, um, really just live in the moment. Don't try and think ahead too much. I understand you have to think ahead, but really when you're in class, when you're in a performance, don't think ahead. Think of really cherish that moment because you never know when you'll get another one. Oh, that's well put. You're right. And Maggie, do you have a favorite quote that you kind of think about in your journey? Uh, I've always liked this quote even before I was diagnosed. It's something from Dolly Parton. She said, the way I see it, if you want a rainbow, you got to put up with the rain. So that I've heard that when I was really young and I re it really like resonated with me and it has stuck with me through all these years. And I think it's relevant for my cancer journey. It really, you have to put up with the hard to get the beautiful. So that's my like favorite quote. And, I love that quote. Yeah, that that makes total sense, both in your your life situation as well as, like you said, in anybody's, because you're right, you can't have overwhelming positive if you don't know how to compare it to something that's not. Yeah, definitely. And then um, regarding, you know, kind of with your with your mission and your advocacy that you're working on, what would be advice for young teen dancers regarding, you know, breast cancer and, you know, how to kind of make sure to take care of themselves or to be aware, not, not to put fear in people's minds, but also, but just awareness and knowledge. Um, well, my oncologist told me my first appointment with him is it's never too early to start uh, self breast exams, even for men, because men do get breast cancer and it's not widely known, but I, I check myself every day in the shower. I make sure there's no lumps, no changes. And um, really, if you feel like you need a test, if you feel like you need a scan or whatever, because something you just feel isn't right, really push your doctors for it. I know with me, I had just gotten out of college. I was always one of those people, oh, the, pers the person in charge says do this. Okay, but the doctor doesn't know your body. And you know your body the best. And if you feel like you need something, really push for it. And if your doctor doesn't give it to you, find a new doctor because the doctor needs to understand it's your body. It's not his body or her body. It's really your body. You know what's best for it. So just really push for whatever you need. If it, even if it turns out to be nothing, if it just eases your mind, it's better than a doctor that just pushes it saying, oh, you don't need that, you're too young, don't worry about it, but really push for whatever you need. Well, thank you, Maggie, so much for your time, and I just appreciate the journey that you're on in, in such positive, I guess, um, spreading the word in such a positive way. You know, you're really an example of 
how to face something horribly negative and turn it into something, you know, amazingly positive. So I appreciate your, your strength in all of this. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, and I did want to mention the merchandise that you have uh, on your website. Is that still available? It is still available. Um, we actually just ordered a new shirt that will, it'll, it's release date is November 1st, but all of the stuff is still available. If you email me at ballerina at gmail, you can order from there. And then the proceeds um, for the merchandise or any of the, what does that go to what? That goes to Ball Ballerina. So that's all for all my medical funds and to help raise for the nonprofit. So if somebody wants to help with your, with your fund and help out with some of the extraordinary costs that you're facing, the merchandise helps, but is there also a way that they can donate directly? Um, they can go to youcaring.com slash ballballerina um, and donate there. That's a, it's like a GoFundMe, but it's for medical bills and for um, like medical needs. So that's where people have been donating. And um, also, if you want a tax break, you can go to Young and Brave. I think it's slash Maggie K for and donate there, that's a nonprofit, so you'll get a tax um, break if you donate through Young and Brave. And all the websites are, I can send you all my websites so you can post Yeah, them. and I'll, I'll put those in your show notes, so if anybody is listening and wants to know like where all of those sites are, just go to my um, to balancing point under your show notes, which is under the podcast and your name. So we'll be able to spread the word in multiple ways this way. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thanks again, Maggie. And I really, you know, I will keep you in our prayers and, you know, keep up with your, with your journey. And again, just share any, any events or anything that you want me to kind of spread the news on. I'll be happy to do so. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for tuning in to Bouncing Point today. And please just take a few moments to stop by my website at balancingpoint.com and check out Maggie's show notes page. You just go under a podcast and then scroll down to where you see her page. And on the page, you can read more about her journey and you can click into her website. And most importantly, you can help raise some money to alleviate some of her astronomical medical costs by uh, pur purchasing some of the merchandise that she has on her page. It'd be a great opportunity to do it for gifts around the holidays or, and show your support in that way. Uh, let her know if you ever do stop by that you heard her on my show and that you were inspired to reach out to her and, you know, take some time to follow her journey. And in the meantime, have a great day and thanks again for listening.